Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for the focus that we have this week when it comes to government, politics, and voting. Lord, really, we really want you to lead us. We want you to guide us into all of these things. Where there's confusion, make it clear. Where there's questions, we pray that you would bring answers. Where there's problems, bring solutions. Father, where we're just in turmoil, would you bring peace And God, we do pray over this upcoming election. First, I pray over the candidates. Lord, I pray that your will would be done, that what you have seen before time began to happen and what you desire, what your will is, I pray that that would happen during this election cycle, that the candidates that are supposed to get into each different office, I pray they would. Lord, I also ask that regardless of the outcome and and how we see it through our natural eyes, we ask that you would guide it by your mighty hand. Lord, we know you can change a nation in a day. You can change the heart of a man or a woman. You can change anything. And so, Lord, we place all of our trust and hope in you, and it is not misplaced when we do that. And so we ask, God, that as Christians, we would be about our business of making disciples, of preaching the gospel, and planting churches. And regardless of the outcome of next week, we pray that our focus would not be deterred. In fact, we would find a newfound freedom to go about and do what you have called us to in this season. And we thank you, Lord, for all those that are tuning in. I pray that you would bless and strengthen hearts and homes. Encourage us, Lord, that that we would lift our head up. We would look to you from which comes our help. Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We love you. We thank you for this time in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. I didn't hear you naturally, but I hear you in the spirit. I know you're saying amen. Hey, well, I hope you're encouraged. If you haven't been tuning in, we are in a special series of broadcasts. Three days in a row, we've been talking about politics, government, and voting. The first day, I talked to you a little bit about government, governance, really from God's perspective, or at least I tried to bring you through scripture and how God has given us stewardship over the earth and government and politics plays a role in that. And yes, we all know that politics can go down the wrong roads because of unregenerate people and unregenerate systems and structures that are set up and they're in place of maybe what God would do or where God would take things if he were king. Jesus is king over our lives, for those of us that are Christians, that have bowed our knee and named Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so now we're living in the world, but we're not of the world, and we're doing our best to cast our vote. Um, we're doing our ve- best to, to live in such a way where we represent Christ, where we make disciples, we preach the gospel, we plant churches. How do we go about that in a way where we feel the ache of where we are, the the fact that Jesus came and he's coming back and we're in the in-between time awaiting his coming, knowing that he is the only righteous king, the sovereign ruler over all the earth. How do we live in such a way where we where we vote and we interact and we pray for and we but we also anticipate the coming of the Lord, knowing that that his government there will be no end. To his government there will be an increase and we desire and long for him to be Uh, the king, which he will be in that millennial kingdom. If you follow me in the book of Revelation, you know, listen, that we are going to talk about the millennial kingdom. We're going to talk about how Jesus is king. You say, Pastor Ben, when are we starting the book of Revelation? On the Daily Word, that's going to happen in January because we won't be finished with our series at Northwest Church until then. So really important for you to know that. But hey, we talked about the role, the purpose of government and society. I talked to you about should Christians vote, the stewardship of our choice and influence. My conclusion to you was that, yes, I think we should vote because it's within our stewardship. And God affords us, allows us influence in the world that we live in, and we certainly want to use that for His purposes and His glory to the best of our ability and our understanding of Scripture. And then yesterday, I talked about where our allegiance is. Is our allegiance given to Jesus Is it for him and him alone? And then we're doing the best we can in the world to navigate that, negotiate that. 
with the guidance of his word and the leadership of his Holy Spirit. And so is our allegiance given to Jesus? And, and he really is the one that we're looking to. He really is the one that we're following and not just party politics, not just partisanship. And so although we do vote and although we do have to make decisions, the best decisions that we possibly can, ultimately we follow Jesus. He has our heart loyalty. Such an important lesson yesterday. I hope that you were encouraged by that. Well, listen, Today, I'm going to wrap it all up by doing a couple things. Number one, I want to talk to us about the Christian voting guide. I want to talk to us about what we're voting for, and I want to talk to us about how to vote. Um, Why are we going to talk about that? Because it hits a lot of topics that I think we need to bring up. And so the first, and by the way, you might think you know what I'm going to say, but you don't. (laughs) That's why you got to tune in. You don't know. You got to check it out. Listen, our Christian voting guide. I have never been sent more videos, more PDF documents, more websites than this year. I have always been sent many of those types of things. The Christian Voting Guide, the Pastor's Guide to Voting. This is how we should vote. Videos, uh, all kinds of clips, all of that. Totally respect that, totally appreciate that. But by the way, I've been sent the same ones from other people because they're, they're wanting me to also give that to the people of God. I get it. Most, if not all of those, are, are allies with a partisan. I mean, they really are. Um, in fact, I would say 95% of them are basically Christian Republican voting guides. Uh, not wrong, not bad. Uh, I do read some of those. I think they're important to read other people's perspective. I'm looking for scripture in that. Um, I'm looking for them to encourage people to to the, toward the things that I'm going to talk about today. But I think it's really important that we understand that when we look at these voter guides and um, they're already assuming things. What are they assuming? They're assuming that each person has a biblical worldview. I'm talking about Christian voting guides. They assume people have a biblical worldview, which means I know the Bible um, and I agree with the Bible and desi- desire to see God's truth implemented in my world. Hey, fair enough. I get that. Uh, But current statistics say that about 50% of people don't really read the Bible that are professing Christians. And I think it's somewhere around a third, maybe a little bit more, of professing Christians that don't believe that the Bible is fully God's word, that some is, some isn't, uh, which is really problematic when you think about it. To suggest that God's word, some of it's not from God, is very problematic. If I thought some of this wasn't from God and some of it was... um, how do I actually qualify what is or isn't? Really, you know what you're doing? You're, you're making that decision. Thomas Jefferson did that, one of our presidents of the United States of America. He actually made a decision that he wasn't going to adhere to all of the scripture. He said that the New Testament was unreliable, the gospel writers were unreliable. So he cut out pieces of the gospel that he didn't agree with or he didn't uh, believe. And he came up with his own book. It's called The Life, Teachings, and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. Basically, it's just his version of the Gospels. You can just cut out whatever you want. He was a deist, and so that's what people do is they make a decision on what is God's Word and what is not God's Word. That is problematic at best because we're going to cut out some of the most important parts because our flesh is going to say no to the things that are probably most provocative to deny the flesh, what we need, what equips us and empowers us to say yes to God, to say no to the enemy and to the flesh. So that is what happens a lot, of, a lot of the times today is professing Christians, um, maybe one-third don't believe that the Bible is fully God's Word. If that's the case, just think about these voter guides, for example. They're already assuming people have a biblical worldview. They're assuming people agree with the Bible. They're assuming that people are going to go along with what they're saying. And so let me just tell you, I'm going to introduce you to my Christian voting guide, okay? I brought it along with me today. Uh, this is the Bible. I use the New American Standard Version. I know I'm being funny. I know. Stop it. You guys like it, and I'm going to do it. This is my Christian voting guide, and this is what I use. And so I realize that there are all kinds of documents that are produced out there. There are all kinds of broadcasts like I'm doing, but ultimately, we're accountable to that. Ultimately, we stand on that. Ultimately, we proclaim that. That is our Christian voting guide, and this is what I mean by that. 
We believe in the doctrine called the authority of Scripture. In fact, there is no doctrine that is more at stake right now than the authority of Scripture. I'm talking in Christendom, outside of elections, outside of politics, outside of our understanding of government. The authority of Scripture and that doctrine, which means that the Bible is of God, from God, contains everything we need for life and godliness, and our life as believers, as followers of Jesus, me. We need to stand on this word. This word is over us. It's not under us. We're not over it in determining what it says for our life and what we want to do based on it. It says what our life is to be about. It says what God thinks about the world that he created, about the people he created, and what we are to do, our purpose, our life, our life's motivation to bring glory and honor to him. That is our Christian voting guide because that is our guide in all matters concerning faith, life, and practice. And that is the doctrine of the authority of Scripture, and it definitely needs to put in, be put into full view when we're talking about government politics and voting. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed. Theonoustos. It means it is literally from God. Okay, that is, that is a claim that we must take seriously, meaning that God gave us what we need. We need what's in here, and we need to apply what's in here. Now, it says this too. It says it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, it doesn't say it's useful for voting, but it says that we'll be equipped for every good work. I'm just assuming that means voting as well. It doesn't say it, but I'm assuming it. I'm saying that this book will equip us to vote the way that we ought to. And we cannot be another statistic. We cannot be one of those that says, yeah, it is God's word, but I don't read it. Or we can't be one of those professing Christians that says, um, some of it's God's word and some of it's not. Well, who determines that? And what does that look like in our life? Not good. That's what it looks like. And so this is our Christian voting guide. Now that we've established that, let's talk a little bit about what are we voting for when it comes to an election? What are we voting for? When it comes to politics, we have to make sure that we thoroughly understand we're not just voting for a politician, but it's the political party that stands behind them and the policies that guide them. These last two presidential elections have shown us that people are being forced in their mind to vote for a personality. And I want to take a step back and suggest to you that we're not just voting for a person. In fact, there's three things in particular that we are voting for whenever an election cycle is happening, and and regardless of the office that we're voting for. So typically, these conversations are had when we're talking about a presidential election. But we're also voting in a governor, senator, house of representatives. We're voting in our local leadership. We're voting over different issues and policies on a local level and sometimes on a state level. These things are very, very important. But we've got to know when we're voting for a person that there are three things that we've got to to really look at. What are we voting for? And the first, we're voting for a party. We're voting for a party because behind a politician is a party. So then we're also voting for a politician, a party, a politician, and policies. These are the three things that we're voting for, and you cannot separate them. In fact, what people are doing today, and, and, and let's just be honest, I've never seen the visceral response that I've seen today. In fact, I've asked pastors this week, um, is this the worst that you've gone through when it comes to an election cycle and how tense the people of God are, because as pastors, we talk to our people, we talk to people in our churches, and the tension and the turmoil runs very high. And so I've asked pastors, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Are you making it? Are you above water? Are you swimming? Are you floating? I've been asking them how they're doing. And all of them have unequivocally told me that this is the most difficult election cycle that they have ever walked through by far. In fact, you could combine a lot of the last election cycles and put them into this one. That's how difficult that it's been for pastors to guide the people of, of the people of Jesus to follow Jesus in this time when it comes to the issue of voting. And sometimes that's because people feel like pastors avoid the issue of voting and party and politics and politicians and policies, or maybe they feel like they lean, uh, they lean too far on one side and so they don't trust them to be unbiased. And uh, I can appreciate that. I can understand that. Nobody wants to be manipulated. 
But let me just tell you, we are being manipulated all the time. I believe the church should be the safest place for us to have discussion, even where there's disagreements and differences. In fact, I think there's a fear. There's a real fear that we have to have honest and open conversation. Because right now, people are saying, if you vote for Donald Trump, how can you vote for Donald Trump? Because he's clearly doesn't have character. He clearly is a narcissist. He clearly has issues. He's clearly immoral and all of that. And all of that may be really true. Of course, he's, he exhibits qualities of narcissism, very self-centered, very self-focused. All of that's extremely true. Who's going to deny that? But if you're just thinking about voting for the politician and not the party and the policies, then you're missing what's really happening here. I mean, the, the fact is, is that a politician in our democracy can only do so much. I mean, we've, we've seen that over this last four years. You can do, you do have power as the president, um, and different offices have different power. And we need to know how much power each office has. And I, I would suggest most don't. Most don't realize that you're not just voting for a person, you're voting for a party, you're voting for policies, and you need to know what power people have in those different offices to actually convey their opinions, their viewpoints, and bring about legislation that truly matters to all of us. These things are very, very important. But people today, Christians, they're fighting over whether or not, you know, how can you vote for Trump? I've heard that quite a bit. How can you vote for Trump? Because clearly he's immoral. Then I've heard people say, how can you vote for a Democrat? Because they're so pro-abortion. They're uh, against the movement of life. And so these are the comments that are used. They're lobbed across both sides of the aisle in order to control people and make us feel safe that other people that are around us are doing what we are doing as well. So in other words, we're going to shut down conversations. We're not going to study deeply and pray earnestly. Instead, we're going to make comments that label each other, and I'm going to hang out. Tribalism is I'm going to be with the people that agree with me, and I'm not going to be around others because they make me feel unsafe. Having a conversation that differs from what I truly believe and I am absolutely convinced of, having a conversation is, is, is a debate, and so I will debate you, but I will not be friends with you. I, I would actually say that that is not what should be exhibited as a quality of a Christian. I think we should be able to pray, study, talk, consider. I think that we should be the safest people and the safest place to do that. I'm not suggesting we shouldn't have convictions. We should have convictions. I have convictions. I have very specific convictions, and they may be stronger than the ones that you have on a particular issue. And you might have convictions that are stronger than me, and we're all growing. And the fact that we're growing through all of this means we've got to have a lot of grace. We, we just sort of pick our issues we pick our people, and then we sideline and cancel everyone. Listen, Christians, I'm talking to Christians right now. If you're not a Christian, you're listening to me, I'm glad you're listening. But for those of you that are Christians, we have heard so much about the cancel culture today. It's that if you don't agree with me, I cancel you. It comes from Christians too. And I don't care if you're conservative or you're liberal. It comes from Christians. It comes from conservatives, and it comes from liberals as well. I have been canceled by both sides. I have been labeled by both sides. And now I'm no longer, uh, I'm no longer a person that just says, this particular perspective has got to be the only way. I have convictions, and those must be based on Scripture. And where that is the case, I am convicted I vote accordingly, I pray accordingly, I believe accordingly, but one of the most refreshing things has been my ability over the last season to learn how to have conversations with people where it differs so that they feel safe enough to talk to me about that. But I honestly think one of the reasons that we avoid politics and government and voting is because we don't feel safe enough to have a conversation where a disagreement can occur. I, I believe we're actually scared of disagreement because... That says if we disagree that we're not capable of actually still walking together. In other words, we have to agree on all of these various things in order for us to be unified. I would tell you that's not reality. That's, that's an illusion. Uh, it's not true. And I can tell you as the lead pastor of our church, I've had a number of, of conversations with people from different perspectives and different places or different levels of conviction on issues or confusion or, or whatever they're walking through. And I can tell you, as people have learned to trust me, and as they learn to trust me and they confide in me where they're really at, it's been not only a privilege and an honor, but it's also shown me that um, we don't feel safe always with each other. 
and I believe, I'm believing for something greater than, than what I've seen. I, I believe that if, if anything is being exposed right now, it's that there's a, there's a greater agenda that's out there, and it's more than sometimes what we're told. Now, I've just went off script, and you love it when I do that, so I have no problem with it. But <laughs> uh, we're often, what we're trying to do when we're voting for things is we're trying to vote for, a, sometimes we're trying to vote for a Christian. And I think that we can actually get deceived when we, uh, there are people that will campaign on what we want to hear. And so you'll see in their little bios, like different things that they'll, uh, they'll volunteer for. And I was involved in Young Life, you know, maybe they were involved in Young Life when they were uh, 18 and they're 45 or 50 now, and they haven't set foot in a church for 20 years, but it doesn't say that on their bio. And I'm, I'm just telling you that <laughs> there is a methodology to getting a vote. All right. And so this is why we've got to look at politicians, we've got to look at policies, and we've got to look at party, okay? And so let me just start with party. Number one, whether we want to admit it or not, the majority votes party all of the time, and they don't look into everything else. That does happen. Um, I've had people say, I'm a Republican and I'm a Democrat. I'm neither, and I don't give my allegiance to a party because I, want, I, I vote by the issue, and then the other things are secondary, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But we do this because uh, we vote party because of how we're raised. We do it because of what we've been told or what we've read. Um, I strongly encourage you to actually do the research yourself and be convinced by your own reading. Typically, we are told what a party believes or a politician believes by someone that's against them. That's usually how we get the information. I would suggest that's a bad way to get our information about anything or anybody. In fact, if you want to learn about what someone believes or what a party believes, you've got to read it from their own mouth first. Then it can be criticized, then it can be weighed, it can be discerned. But until we read it ourselves, I think it's a bit unfair to just get our information from a person that's on the other side because they're going to frame up that information in a way that appeals to us and it suggests to us that they're wrong in all these areas. But if you don't read in between the lines or you don't maybe read the actual quotations, it could be what happens all the time. A soundbite, a clip, or a quote is framed up in such a way to look down on and pit ourselves against. And I think that's just unfair. And I think as the people of God, we've got to do better than that. We've got to actually read what people believe. So here's my question to you. Have you gone to the Republican and the Democratic platform, the websites, and read for yourself what they believe? I want you to ask yourself that question. If you call yourself Republican or you call yourself Democrat, and I believe both of you are listening to me right now, uh, and before you say you're not a partisan, uh, you, you don't believe in partisan politics, and you don't vote party, just for a second, some of you would say that, but it's not necessarily true. Just be honest here. Have you gone to the Republican website? Have you gone to the Democratic website? Well, if you haven't, guess what? I got those websites for you today. Republican platform, GOP.com. Real easy to go to. Scroll to the bottom of the page, on the, on the homepage, and at the bottom of the page, you'll see something called Republican platform. It's a long PDF document. I recommend that you read it. I recommend that you read the entire thing. Why? Because this matters, and you need to know the party. If you're going to vote for Republican, you need to vote uh, based on knowledge and not what you think they believe. Now, for those of you that have never read the Democrat platform and you've gotten your information from the Republican Party or somebody that's a Republican politician, a good friend of yours or your parents growing up, I recommend you go to democrats.org, democrats.org. And on their website, you can look up Democrat platform, Democrat platform. It's a long PDF document. I recommend that you read it. I would suggest to you that it has changed in recent years. That's very important for you to know because some of the changes, I had read it, but some of the changes that have been made, I, I read actually over the last couple of days and I re didn't realize some of it has changed. So once again, some of the quotations are older and things have been updated. That might be positive for the Christian, that might be negative for the Christian, but either way, you've got to look at what they say. That rhyme, wasn't that powerful? That was really powerful. All right, two things that we've got to look at when we're reviewing a party. Number one, what are they saying? What are they saying about themselves? What are they saying about the world? What are they saying about policies? It's always a war over worldview, okay? I have a biblical worldview, so I'm going to look at the party through a biblical worldview. What do they say about themselves? What do they say about the world? 
and what do they say about policies or the things that they are going to be the, the guiding principles of their party. Secondarily, not only what are they saying, but what are they doing? What are, are the words matching the actions, okay, the track record? Are they saying one thing and doing another? Because that's indicative of what might continue to transpire. All right, we're going to, how are we voting? We're, we're, or what are we voting for? We're voting for a party. Now we're also voting for a politician. Um, I think that uh, it's important for us to realize when we get the ballots, we get these pamphlets. If you don't read them, I really suggest you read them. Um, they're a little thick, but I read them. I used to not. I'll be honest with you. I used to not read them. Uh, I read them now. I read about every politician. I read their bios. In addition to their short bios and this half-page write-up, you can go to a website. Almost all of them have websites. And so depending upon the office, we want to know what office they're going to occupy, what power they're going to have, who's under them, how do they bring about legislation? What part are they? What part? What branch of government are they involved in? What are they responsible for? What decisions can they make? How is that going to affect the country, our our state, our city? Knowing those things are very important. So you got to look. You want to look up a politician. Um, number one, what are they saying about themselves, the world policies? Number two, what are they doing about the? Or how are the words matching? Um, their, their actions? Are they actually doing what they say they're going to do? Now, I'm not always looking for a Christian politician, to be honest with you, because again, 50% don't read the Bible, 30% don't believe the Bible. Uh, people will say they're Christian. I don't know what that means. There are all kinds of denominations that I don't agree with. There are all kinds of principles that I think are counter, uh, they're counterproductive when it comes to people that say they're Christians. Um, right? The old saying is, is that uh, if, if, if you go to McDonald's, you know, are you, does it make you a hamburger? If you go to church, does it make you a Christian? I know it's super dumb. I don't remember who came up with that. It's uh, some apologist. Uh, but no, just because people go to Catholic Mass or they go to some church or just because they grew up Presbyterian, it doesn't make them a Christian. It doesn't mean that what they believe and how they live and what they say and the integrity of their life follows Christianity. And that's, that's again, sometimes we've got to just take a step back as Christians and not get duped. All right, be careful. I don't just look for Christian politicians because uh, to satisfy my vote. Oh, they're a Christian. I'm going to vote for them because uh, it really depends on what the the power of that office is. What are they responsible for? What is their background? What is their experience? What is their track record? What are they saying? Are their actions matching their words? To the best of our ability, we want to actually study whether or not this politician um, can do what they say they're going to do. Has done what they said they we're going to do. And where they are Christ followers, that actually begs to, to ask another question. I mean, I think Christians should get involved in politics. I think if you're called to it, go for it. I think uh, we should be involved in every sphere of society. There's no, re- no reason for us to not be involved. In fact, I think the, the, the anti-doctrine of separation of church and state, which was, I already told you in lesson one, that that was actually originated for the purpose of keeping the government out of the affairs of the church, but now that doctrine has been turned against the church to say the church needs to stay out of politics. That is falsehood. That is error. I think Christians need to be involved in every area of society, so please, if you feel called, get involved. If I wasn't a pastor, I would certainly be up for it. I would be ready to go because I love people, and I want to use the money that comes in from our taxes in order to support what I think will best help society and the people around us. I think that's uh, the best thing that I could do with my life if I were not a pastor, but this is the best thing that I can do with my life because God called me to it. And you need to do what God's called you to do. So what we talk about party, politician, and third, policies. Um, As I told you in my first broadcast, I vote based on policies first according to God's word. That's just what I do. I'm, I'm looking at policies first and foremost, because otherwise, what, how am I going to be guided by just a, a politician? Are they a nice person? Um, do they speak well? Some politicians are good speakers. Some are terrible speakers. Some are, are great at um, executing proper legislation. Um, they're really good about getting things done but they are terrible communicators. And you could say, well, I think that every politician should be a good communicator. No, I don't think so. I think teachers 
should be good communicators. Bible teachers, pastors need to be decent communicators. But for those that are governing, they should be able to communicate. But if they're not slick or eloquent, I'm not as bothered about that. In fact, history shows us that there are many politicians that were good at what they did, but they were not always great communicators and they were criticized for it. And I've seen that even in my lifetime, people that I feel like did not pull the crowd or communicate as well, but they certainly did the right things. And so I think we've got to be careful looking at issues first. And so to me, it's all about uh, uh, what the party and the politician is going to do, not just what they say. What are they going to do? I'm not going to be swayed by simply what you say. So here are the issues. Here, here are the things that we're most concerned about. I just sort of categorically put this together. I might have missed one, sorry. Uh, here's what we're voting on. We're voting on domestic policies. We're talking about education, gun control, criminal justice. The word now is law and order. Um, obviously, with the whole um, movement about defunding the police, this has gotten pretty serious. What do people believe about that? Um, and then you have to have an interpretation on what defunding the police means. Well, it depends on who you listen to because uh, some people say defunding the police doesn't mean defunding the police. Well, uh, there are organizations that actually do mean defund the police. So I know that we're trying to reinterpret what that means because uh, there are now hashtags out called abolish the police. And that was actually to further clarify, yes, we actually do mean defund the police. So I think it's important that we not try to interpret what people say, because when they say things, a lot of people do mean them. And we're here we are trying to like, well, that's not, defund the police doesn't mean defund the police. I don't know. I just go by what people say. So I'm judging the policies and the words that people are putting forth, okay? So what does the party, what does the politician mean when they say it? Okay, there, there can be hashtags out in social media world, but we need to know what these parties and politicians are talking about. Domestic policies, education, gun control, criminal justice, law, order, so on. Number two, economic issues. I mean, this is the debate over socialism or democratic socialism versus capitalism and different variations of that. Environmental issues, number three, what do people believe about those? Number four, poli foreign policy and national security. These are things that we're gonna, we could talk about when it comes to open borders, our relationship to other countries, how our country is being protected, how we're being represented in the world around us. Number five, healthcare issues. Obviously, when it comes to um, Democrat, Republican, or some Democrats and some Republicans, we're going to be talking about Medicaid, healthcare for all. Uh, is this doable? How much does this raise taxes? Is this the right way to go? Have other countries been successful? All of that. Number six, immigration issues. What do we believe about our immigration process? And let me just say, by the way, it feels like four, five, or four, four seven, eight, ten years ago, people didn't, the average person didn't talk much about the immigration policies. Now it seems like everybody is. Why? Because everything's being criticized, right? So all of a sudden, everybody be, has become a, spin, become a student of politics. Um, and what's best for our country. When in reality, I think Christians are held to a certain standard because we quote passages. I'm going to park right here for a second. Christians will quote passages from the Old Testament about welcoming the stranger, and will try to place that on uh, policy when it comes to our country. This is a very difficult thing to do because as a Christian, I'm called to welcome the stranger. As a Christian, what that meant in the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Leviticus had to do with the covenant people, Israel, being able to welcome a sojourner who was not an Israelite, and they could welcome, in, welcome them into their community. They could take care of them if they were sick, hurting. They could take care of, they could bandage their wounds. They could bring healing to their lives. They could if that person was willing to become part of their community in the, in the covenant for which they were under, they could convert and become one of them. That was something they could do. But the reality was is that welcoming the stranger is part of God's covenant people and the faithfulness that they were to have to him. This is how God treats people, and he wanted his people to treat them the same way. But when we take a lot of these passages when Israel was developing and establishing a society in the promised land based on Deuteronomy and Leviticus and really the Torah, to take that and put that on American policy sometimes is problematic. I didn't say all the time, but sometimes is very problematic because you can't take a policy 
that wasn't built on the Bible. And then when we're talking about an issue, take one passage and then put that over a policy or an entire, you know, uh, an entire issue that uh, isn't constructed from the same passage or the same Bible for which we're quoting. It, it, listen, this is where we've just got to be really careful because people will make arguments based out of one passage, but they're not going to make arguments for the construction of those policies based on the Bible, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. If you're going to build it um, based on Scripture, then you have to hold it accountable to every Scripture. But if it isn't built on that, then we've got to look at the origination of a policy. Is that what it was built for? What is the purpose? What has been the purpose? What is the policy of immigration? What is actually healthy for a country? Is it healthy for us to have open borders or not? We've got to determine that. What does that do to society? And so I'm not trying to sway you. I'm just saying these are very important conversations that cannot be solved by lobbing Bible passages when we get tense and we get angry and we think, well, Christians, sometimes people will say, well, Christians don't care because look what the Bible says. And it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> we've got to take a step back and actually ask the question, does that passage fit in this conversation at this level? Maybe what we've got to do is go back underneath all of this and say, was this even built the right way? I mean, that is a great question. That is a great conversation to have. But I'm not interested in having uh, passage lobbying conversations that don't really fit the, um, based on what we're even talking about. We, we've got to be very careful is all I'm saying. What's the origin of something? How was it constructed? What's it based on? What's it built on? And do these passages fit? So when it comes to like immigration, for example, that's such a robust and broad conversation. I never really cared much or thought much about it until my friends from other nations, I, I started becoming more friend, uh, greater friends with folks from other nations. And all of a sudden I realized the processes and the protocols and how this works and comes about. And yeah, there is a lot of reform that is needed. And I don't know if any of us, a lot of us that have opinions, have we been involved in that? Have we ever tried to help somebody through the immigration process? I have. In fact, there's probably somebody watching right now who knows I've been with them in that immigration process. So I know in a very close, in a close way what this looks like. Um, but instead of just getting mad, sad, glad, uh, the point is finding a way as in our own positions and when we're voting for people uh, to let our voice be heard based on experience, based on research, um, not based on heated debates and conversations that, have, that are quite ignorant. All right, I'll, I'll go off, but uh, I'll sign off on that issue. But, but, but it isn't the passion of that issue that I'm talking about. It's more or less like how I see people fight over things that lack knowledge. Number seven, social issues. This is like marriage, um, marriage equality is what it's called. Uh, as a Christian, I have a biblical sexual ethic, so I believe in one man and one woman um, in sacred union together uh, by which family is developed and fathers and mothers are essential and necessary. Now, I know that we live on a broken planet. We have broken families. We have all kinds of family situations. My wife and I have a blended family, and so we understand all that, but the reality is, is that we're, uh, we're believing for God's ideal, and marriage is defined by God in Genesis uh, chapter 2. It's very clear that the man will leave his father and mother and cling together to be with his wife, and the two shall become one. This is the redefinition of marriage is not something that I, um, that I am for, nor will I ever be. And so these issues, the social issues are very important, and people will propose marriage equality. Love is love. You should be able to love who you want to. Well, I'm not going to play umpire on everybody, but the reality is when I get to vote, I'm obviously, um, these things become very important to me because I know what Scripture says. And so I have a biblical sexual ethic. When it comes to the issue of, of abortion, you know, some are pro-choice, some are pro-life, and uh, those that are pro-choice would say they're not against pro-life, but as it pertains to the conversation, um, there are a lot of people in our country that uh, call it women's reproductive rights, but we're not really willing to talk about the option of abortion being an actual killing, and at what point of gestation does it actually become murder? And so obviously, I don't, uh, I don't think that it's really about pro-choice because those that care about pro-life, not just part of the pro-life movement, but those that are pro-life in the womb believe that God has ordained life. God is the giver of life, and we should not be the takers of life. And that really is the scripture. And so people fight over at what point does 
a fetus become a life? Well, God saw life in the womb. Scriptures speak to that again and again. And so these are very serious issues for the Christian, biblical issues and things that we need to talk about. And also when we talk about social issues, we're talking about religious liberty. And before we go into a time of prayer, one of my greatest concerns is the issue of religious liberty, and here's why. Because my job is to preach the gospel and to make disciples. And if religious liberty is hindered, then the church won't flourish as it once did. Now, you could say, well, sure it will. We'll go underground and we'll do what we need to do. And that's true. Actually, if, if the church gets persecuted, if things go a different way than I want them to or see them going, I trust the Lord. God will open the doors. God will lead his church in a triumphant way. It's not about us uh, being bigger and larger than everyone else and and strutting our stuff. It's about us actually reaching people. And so sometimes my vote, um, I'm thinking through the lens of religious liberty. Is this going to give the church the freedom that she needs in order to preach the gospel and be an advocate in society the way that we are? Now, 501c3s aside, I'll let go of that if, if necessary. I'm not strapped to that whatsoever. People say, well, uh, have said, well, churches are bootstrapped to their 501c3, and so they're churches of the state. That is, that is ridiculous. Every pastor I know would give up their 501c3 to follow Jesus any day of the week. No problem. I would go back to working in real estate or construction work any day of the week to serve Jesus, whatever it takes. Listen, whatever it takes. But I am concerned, and many are concerned about religious liberty, and are the rights of uh, the church going to be taken? Uh, how much does that matter? People debate these things. But yeah, it's a concern that I have, and these are the social issues that we vote on. These are the concerns that Christians have, and rightfully so, because the Bible does speak to many of these things, and we need to have an understanding of that. Now, I don't think you're necessarily wrong um, because you vote. Let, let me back up. People will vote differently based on the way they see policy, okay? Sometimes we prioritize one thing over the other. And my job isn't to tell you how to vote. My job is to point you to the Christian voting guide. My job is to tell you to research things. My job is to tell you uh, not to be deceived, not to be deceived by politicians and parties and your upbringing and uh, what you haven't researched and studied. I, I think it's very important. Also, the fact that we're not willing to have conversations. I think anybody that's not willing to have conversations and just moves to a debate, they're not willing to actually consider anything. I, th I think that's problematic. That's not just a person with convictions. That's a person with an unwillingness to even have a conversation. Could I be wrong? Could I be wrong about something? I think it's humble for us to actually consider, to talk through, to weigh, to pray about these things. It's really important. And I think, again, we want to consider the offices. When we're voting for somebody, do they even have the power over an issue? What is that? What is their ability? I've talked about that already. So we're voting for party. We're voting for politician. We're voting for policies, all right? And the next question and the final question is, how do we vote? Um, we've looked at what but how do we go about it? Let me reiterate, research the party, politician policies, number one. Number two, study the scriptures regarding the issues that we're voting on. Um, I've been doing that a lot recently. I've been going back over the issues. Um, I talked to you a little bit about the immigration one where people are lobbying scriptures at a massive issue that's been constructed and developed over a long period of time, which I think often is very unfair. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying like we've got to make sure that we look at how the policy was developed versus what the scripture is saying, because context is everything. So we've got to study the scriptures and to see what fits and what guides us scripturally based on what we're voting for and who we're voting for. And third, I think we need to pray over our vote. I think we need to put, um, put the, the vote in front of us and say, Lord, who do you want me to vote for? I've done my research. I've, I've studied. I've, I've thought about this. I've, I've, I'm a good steward to the best of my ability. And now I give this over to you and I'm going to pray. Let me read to you a scripture. This is what Paul said to Timothy. Timothy was the pastor of the church in Ephesus at the time. And he said, I urge you, 1 Timothy 2.1. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Why? So we can share the gospel and make disciples. That was of utmost concern to Paul. 
This is good and pleases uh, God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. And I am telling the truth. I am not lying and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. What is Paul saying? Pray for all those who are in governmental authority pray that we could have lives of peace with and among them so that the gospel of Jesus Christ could continue to go beyond us and reach and touch all of those that need to be saved. He says that God, our Savior, who wants all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, the reason that we would live at peace with all men, the reason that we would go about peacefully in the world that we live in is not for our safety. It is for salvation. Let me say that again. It is not about our safety. It is about salvation, the salvation of people's souls. If we have nice, quiet lives and everything's nice and um, we've got a good bank account, we've got a good house, everything's fine on the outside, but on the inside, everybody around us is eroding and they're on their way to an eternal existence without God. What does it matter anyways? I'm, I'm serious. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be extreme here, but like, what does it really matter if we get all the things that we want and we feel utterly safe and we feel like our children are going to be safe, but people go to hell and we don't care. That is the church asleep and we can't, we can't capitulate to that. And so I want to close our broadcast today by saying, thanks for hanging in there with me. <laughs> Number one, and maybe you were a little nervous about what I was going to say, but I hope and pray that you were encouraged. And I pray that you got something out of our time together because we need to talk about this. I'm not going to avoid stuff because people don't want to talk about it, but we can't just uh, find ourselves in a place of saying everything that everyone wants to hear. We've got to just go with scripture, and I've tried to do that. And I've got more things I could say, but we're just going to stop by praying over the different, uh, over the elections. Let's pray together. I've, uh, I've got a prayer for the president, members of Congress, and for our state leaders and our local leaders. So pray with me today. Join your heart with me in prayer according to what I read, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. And uh, here, let's go ahead and pray for our president and also the election on November 3rd. I don't know why people keep saying November 2nd. It's, this is the third, right? I don't, I don't know why we keep getting that confused. Um, so every time somebody says November 2nd, I'm like, did, did, I, did I miss that? Am I wrong? It's November 3rd. I checked. All right. Let's pray. Father, I wrote this out. Father, we pray right now for our president who carries an enormous burden. God, we pray for all of the issues in his life that affect him in making decisions regarding justice, truth, and righteousness for our nation and over our world. Father, we pray right now that you would touch his heart. We pray you would strengthen him. Father, we pray that you would lead him to you in every way. We pray that he would speak and act with honesty and integrity in all situations, that you would give him a glimpse of how much you love him, how much you love the world that you created, draw him to Jesus in an ever-close relationship, anoint him with the Holy Spirit, speak to him in quiet moments, soften his heart, make him a true servant leader, bring strong, wise, and spiritually mature people around him, speak truth to him through voices of those that he can trust, that you trust. Give him wisdom to reject the voices of those who would argue to seek only personal power and glory. Let him know deep in his soul that only, uh, that only with and through you is the victory because through Jesus we have the victory. And only through your power is this country and our world made whole. We pray, God, that if he is the person that will continue in the presidency, Lord, that you would lead him like never before. You would humble him. He would, be, um, he would look to you and he would be guided by you. We pray if Joe Biden, Kamala Harris are those that end up in the presidency. Father, we pray over them right now in Jesus' mighty name that you would guide them, lead them to you. I don't know them, so if they're not born again, I pray that you would lead them to be born again. Father, we pray that you would radically speak to them. We pray that you would guide them. We pray that righteousness would be their guide. And for Donald Trump as well, we pray righteousness would prevail in our land in Jesus' mighty name. And Lord, now we pray over Congress, the Senate and House representatives. We pray um, in both the Senate and the House. We pray that you would reveal yourself, bring people close to you, each in their own unique way, that they may hear your voice clearly, speak to them of truth, integrity, justice, and fairness. Uh, return them, we pray, to the good and, and true 
aspirations that they had when they ran for office in the first place to help others to right wrongs, right wrongs and to make our world a better place. Father, we pray that um, righteous legislation would be um, put up and written into law. We pray that it would be enacted and voted on and enforced. Father, we pray for the safety and the peace for all men, that those in government offices and positions, that they would occupy them and they would not be guided by their personal opinions and viewpoints, but by righteousness, truth, and holiness. Father, we pray that throughout this land, regardless whether people are Christians or not, we pray that as Proverbs 21.1 says, that the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord and that you can guide it. And we pray that you would guide this election. You would guide the, um, the outcome. You would guide the people. We pray that you would radically change those that have ideologies and opinions and viewpoints that would lead people astray or lead them away from the one true God. We ask, Lord, that you would move mightily. I pray now for our local leaders. I pray for the mayors. Lord, I pray for the governor of our state. I pray for all the assistants that are underneath them, all the employees that are underneath um, the mayors and the governor and all those who are uh, Washington state representatives and every state representatives. Lord, we pray all of those that have a voice to, to the laws and to the enforcing of those laws. We pray now, Lord, for righteousness to prevail. We pray for accountability in those places. Where there's evil, Lord, expose it. Where there's wickedness, expose it. Where there's agenda, expose it. And we pray that, Lord, you put the right people into the right places. And Lord, give us prophetic words for them. Give us um, a prophetic way about them that they would hear from the church, not just because of what we're against, but Lord, they would hear the prophetic word of the Lord because we are willing to speak to them about what your word says and what you are saying by your spirit. And now I pray that you would lead us, Lord. After the elections, we pray for peace across our land, that no matter what happens or what the outcome is, we pray for peace. We pray that the church would flourish. We pray that we would preach the gospel, we would make disciples, and we would be focused on you and your kingdom purposes no matter what. And we thank you today for your word guiding us in this time. In Jesus' mighty name name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.